You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. Welcome back. It's Robin McMahon here, and I'm so happy to have a special guest with me, Angela Crocker. She was on my show before when we did an episode called Digital Life Skills for Youth. Angela is has been called the Ann Landers of digital living, making sense of online life for thousands of digital citizens. Her expertise includes education technology, digital planning, online communities, digital decluttering, content planning, and more. Angela works as an author, speaker, and educator to help individuals, schools, and businesses navigate their digital life. She's an author of not one, but six books, including Digital Life Skills for Youth, Declutter Your Data, and The Content Planner. And you're going to have all of her details, but just as a sneak peek, you can find out more about her at AngelaCocker.com. And she is here today. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, Robin. Hi. So when we first talked... I was the first one to talk to you about digital life skills for youth, which I was so honored to. Thank you for uh, inviting me to, or for allowing me to be the first. Um, and since you launched this book, I have seen you everywhere. I have seen articles about you. I have seen you at book signings. And I want to just highlight one thing that BC Book World said that really got my attention. They said that Angela Crocker has written the most important, one of the most important books of the year. Whoa. Huge review. I was really honored that BC Book World had that to say. And, and I'm so glad that the book is resonating with parents, with teachers, with everyone who is working with youth around the issues of digital. It affects every, every adult who has a teen or a tween in their life. It so does. And I have learned so much too, from tricky tactics to, you know, so many other things what we talked about in our last, uh, in the last episode you were here for. So, um, so this really is, and look, this book is, it, it, it isn't a big, long read. It isn't overwhelming with tons of data speak. It, that's my word. Um, but you know, not a lot of language that is, uh, uh, you know, hard to understand, but you also give a lot of resources after you bought the book, which I love, like some PDFs, some, some different things to help parents out as well. So that is so cool. Um, so one of the reasons why I asked you to join me again is because I am getting so many parents who are frustrated with the amount of gaming their kids are doing. And I just want to know, like, what the heck is going on? Kids are gaming all day long. If they could, they would. Mm -hmm. so what's going on? Tell me. <laughs> Tell us. Well, <laughs> I think that part of what's going on is that this generation of young people are communicating through devices, through gaming, through their shared conversations around videos they've watched on YouTube. <clears throat> and gaming is a really great uh, sort of nexus of all the issues that create friction between parents and teachers and, and, and their, their kids, whether it's their own children, their nieces and nephews, uh, or you know, a group of youth that are coming to the house to hang out and play games together. And what I think is really exciting about this is that when youth are playing video games, they're typically, well, I shouldn't say typically, but often, they are playing in cooperation with other teens who are also online. Um, they are using tools like Discord, which is an audio chat program, 
which is a, separate from the game, but it allows them in small groups to chat. And so they go into an online environment to play the game and they're talking to each other. They're super engaged. They're laughing, they're teasing, they're doing all of the things that if they were younger children, they would be on a playground socially interacting. And so what is unusual is that this is now happening through technology. The game is the catalyst that brings them together. It's a place that they can hang out. And they know that eventually at some point during the afternoon or evening that they're playing, uh, that one or more of their friends will come by. They even will arrange specific times. Yeah, I'll be done dinner at seven o'clock. I'll see you online at 7.30. Uh, and so these really robust, wonderful interactions are happening. However, some parents are only seeing the hours and hours of gaming that's happening. Mm -hmm. And for some parents, that's comfortable. For other parents, it's not. As we talked about last time I was here, Robin, I do think that it's that, power sh that parents should be empowered to set limits around their use in technology. Uh, it is that parents need to take charge. They are, in mm -hmm. fact, allowed to parent. Um, somehow, <laughs> we have, in recent years lost this ability like the authority that comes with the title mom is huge and yeah. uh, we should feel comfortable to to use that authority uh, unfortunately many parents don't uh, and of course that's in part i would imagine where your work comes in yeah absolutely so there's a lot about what you said that i'd like to just talk about a little bit um so what you're saying is that this is you can liken it to the way kids were playing on the playground before with their friends teasing each other playing whatever but now it's the it's the game that is the catalyst to bringing them all together um but but what about the child who, you know, one of the things you said is, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll all get together to play a game. Do you mean get together in their separate places or get together, like, actually, like, together physically? Both. 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 Okay. More, more commonly, they'll be together online because yeah. it's convenient. Especially youth that are, you know, 11, 13, 15, they don't drive. Um, you know, the parents are concerned about them taking transit any great distance. They may have siblings with other activities. They may be responsible for you know, babysitting a younger sibling while mom and dad are coming home from work. Um, and the fact that they're online while they're babysitting, that's another conversation. <laughs> but um, they also are coming together. Uh, my son is a teenager and we have hosted what back in the day we would have called a LAN party. We've literally run cable throughout our rec room, uh, allowing multiple computers to be connected to our internet connection so that they are then able to play together. And, uh, you know, as the mom in residence, I'm in charge of snacks, of course. <laughs> of course. Teenagers around without feeding them. <laughs> um, but I would say for every LAN party that we host, there's at least 50 or 100 online get-togethers between these youths. So they're doing it okay. virtually much more so. Okay. So, you know, I think, I think the, the big issue is um, parents are seeing that and this relates to the comment that you said about you know let's parent our kids like uh, yes you know technology is not the enemy here it is our unwillingness to put boundaries in or enforce boundaries because here's what's happening a couple of things that i want to talk about is one when we say okay look it's time for you to get off the computer or the game or whatever it is we're getting big meltdowns right and I'm talking like 16, 17 year olds too, because they're not doing their homework. So they're neglecting schoolwork. They may be choosing that over hockey or hockey. 
or sports, <laughs> hockey is the first thing as a hockey mom that comes to mind for me, um, and, uh, and, and different things. Um, so, so what do we do then? Well, I think that's part of a bigger issue around digital life skills. And, and part of the work that I've done in this book is giving parents tools to set some parameters around their youth digital work. Uh, so whether they need digital access for school or for social events or just to you know, hang out online, we all mess around online at some point in our, our day. Um, but it's important as they're growing from child to adulthood in those intervening teen years, they've really got to learn the skills to look after themselves and have responsible access to, to technology. Now, you mentioned in particular, like the coming offline problem. Um, that is, is a very common problem. It's a, it's a problem that every parent has experienced. Strategies to deal with that will vary by family, but quite often, even things like agreeing on a particular time. Uh, or agreeing that there's a particular time and mom, would you please give me a 15 minute warning before my time is up? Also uh, for the parent to be somewhat flexible. So maybe there's a really raucous something, they're building something in Roblox or they've, they've got an adventure going on another game and you know, they need to finish the quest. Well, mm -hmm. a little bit of compassion on the parent's part. Say, sure, absolutely, you can have another 15 minutes, but then that's gonna be it for tonight. Um, it's also helpful before your teens are online or if they are already online to start talking about the things that they have to do to earn the privilege of being online. This includes getting enough sleep, staying up to date with their schoolwork, staying connected with family, like coming to the table for family meals, if that's how your family runs, uh, looking after their hygiene, or they, they, they might you know, pop in the shower, but are they actually washing their hair? Uh, are they actually flossing their teeth when they brush their teeth every night? Um, are they using pit stick in the morning or deodorant? We call it pit stick in my family. Uh, you know, those kinds of personal hygiene things, if those start to slip, that's a flag. Yeah. Uh, so there's a whole a variety of sort of a framework of these kinds of things that I've developed that help parents create ways of talking with youth about these things. So if all of those parameters are in place, they're sleeping, they're eating well, they're their hygiene is good, their homework's up to date, whatever time they have left over in the day, it shouldn't do them much harm to be gaming. Because yes. all of those things take time. I mean, they have one, of those, one of the parameters is an hour of exercise a day. I know that my son gets at least two. So he's physically active at least two hours a day, plus school, gym, and all the other things that he's doing. Uh, so, you have to figure out what's right. Your kid might not be an athlete, and so maybe their version of act, you know, physical activity is helping with the housework or doing something in the garden. There's lots of ways to define physical activity. But if they're doing all of these parameters around the rest of their life, whatever's left over time-wise isn't actually that much of their day. And if they want to devote it to gaming, I think that's something that we should allow them to have that choice. Mm -hmm. Well, and we gave them the game, let's be honest, right? Like we gave them the system. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we got to We got to Like we got to take our part in it too. Right. Um, and, and the, you know, uh, vilifying the game is not the answer. So what you're saying is first, like, let's empower our parents to like parent 
right? Let's, let's say, okay, look, yeah. if, if you have a rule or you have a boundary around the gaming, then we need to do that. And one of the things that, um, one of the things that I talk to parents about all the time is determining your values as a family. And then the boundaries are always related to a value because it's pretty hard to, and, and, and by the way, you get everyone to agree on those values too. You're not just, you know, you're not just, Perfect. you're not just, you know, saying it all. It, it is, it is something up for everybody to discuss. And, yeah. and so, so when we say, look, we value time together, which means we eat dinner together, then that goes along with, um, with what we're talking about here. Right. So then you, you can hold that boundary, like, nope, you need to have dinner with us or no, you, you know, we value, we value health and vitality and that includes, uh, exercise. So, um, so holding that boundary is really important. Um, and, and you're right about the flexibility piece too, because there's been times that I've gone in and said, okay, look, it's time now I've given you a warning. It's time now. And they're in the middle of something. And really the, the ramifications for them, even though we can easily as parents say, well, this is not the real world. This doesn't matter. This is just a dumb game. But for them, it matters because they have friends counting on them to finish the mission. They have, um, you know, they don't want to get kicked. They don't want people to not like them. You know, if all of a sudden they disappear from the game because we've yanked it out of the wall, you know, that's not fair. And brain wise, you know, our, our kids' dopamine levels are great, right? They're feeling good and all that. But if we were to just pull the plug on them, those dopamine levels crash. And that I'm actually- I'm so glad you mentioned dopamine levels. There was something I wanted to quote for you from the book. Oh, good. And it was specifically about, uh, about dopamine. So there's some gaming researchers, and I'm just, I'm, I'm reading a little bit from the book. Uh, their names are Patrick Markey and Christopher Ferguson. And so they did some research around video games and dopamine levels. And what they found that was playing a video game has about the same dopamine bump as eating a slice of your favorite pizza or having a bowl of ice cream. So it, it roughly doubles your dopamine level. Um, and nobody would argue that the happy high of eating some pizza when you love it is a reasonable dopamine bump. In contrast, their research went on and showed that um, addictive drugs, uh, things like perhaps and, um, like really serious hard drugs like cocaine, that dopamine bump is actually 10 times normal. So it's a hugely bigger bump in dopamine. And so I think this is part of why uh, gaming is sort of being called an addiction because it is showing a difference in their behavior because of the increase in dopamine levels. Um, but these same researchers went on and they did a survey of all the research that's been done around gaming and brain development. Uh, and they found um, that in general, uh, the, the studies that have been done had sort of misconstrued gaming as something that was addictive because the, lo the level of dopamine increase was not in keeping with, an, with the clinical diagnosis of addiction. Rather, it's in keeping with the, happy, the happiness that we all feel when we do something that we really enjoy. I think this is a key thing to think about as people mm -hmm. are looking at their own children, as parents, as we're looking at our kids online, you know, they are happy. And so as you say, Robin, you know, pulling the plug mm -hmm. unexpectedly, killing the router, which some families do, um, and every family is different. I should also add this. I, you know, although I have opinions as a parent myself, and I've done extensive research in this area, one of the things I've tried to do in this work is really respect that there is a range of parents. There are going to be families that say no to gaming consoles completely. There are going to be families that say 
you know, gaming all you want, there's no restrictions, have at her. Most families like ours fall somewhere in the middle and there are some boundaries and, and some consequences related to them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So that's, so really to answer the question, are our kids addicted to gaming? The answer is no. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I, okay. So, I mean, that's really what we're here to answer is, is it addicted? Are our kids addicted or not? <clears throat> is yes. it true? Is it true that there are gaming companies that have dopamine experts helping them program their games so that they are addictive? Is that true? Because I've heard that. I, I have no resource to confirm or deny that. I don't know, Robin. Okay. Okay. What I can tell you is that in 2017, the World Health Organization, so WHO is a very respected global organization, they have released a new definition, something they call gaming disorders, yes. um, which is in response to the conversation we're having around gaming addiction. Uh, and gaming disorders, by their definition, um, are something to be concerned about. You know, if, they, if it's altering behavior, if it's altering uh, their ability to self-regulate, then it is of concern and it's something that, you know, other things are out of, out of alignment, which we've talked about, uh, and need some attention. However, one of the key things that the WHO study showed was that gaming disorders are not necessarily a permanent state. So it might be an episode of gaming disorder rather than an ongoing chronic condition. And I think this is really key because almost every team most likely has moments of gaming disorder. They might have a bad weekend or your family might have something terrible going on and you know there's someone in hospital, there's a death in the family, there's an argument mm-hmm. between family members who are maybe heading towards divorce or some other kind of very serious stressful situation and youth are retreating to their games as a coping mechanism to go into a world where they can cope. Now is that length of time that they're gaming heading into gaming disorder? Possibly. I am not a clinical psychologist. I think anything around addiction or any kind of mental health diagnosis should be diagnosed by a a clinician who is trained Mm -hmm. to do so. Um, However, I think if other things in the family are in disarray, then this sort of tendency towards a gaming disorder is also very, you know, it's very easily tracked. Okay, one thing is correlated to the other. And so for families to be aware of what's going on in their household beyond just the argument about gaming time uh, is a big part of this discussion. Um, okay, that's really helpful. Do you, do you have uh, some of the signs that somebody is um, experiencing gaming disorder? Um, I don't have that specifically. Uh, more, it's, it's in keeping with... Um, the work that I quote in the book and in other, other conversations um, around these cues that we've already talked about, about um, how youth are living in a wider sense. There's a whole chapter in the book about mental health where I'm talking mm-hmm. about all the different things, whether it's nutrition, exercise, family time, sleep, etc. cetera. Uh, and I also provide that framework for families to add their own measures because there might mm-hmm. be something that within your family, you know, are you, are you going to church? Are you praying? Are you mm-hmm. attending synagogue? Are you going to mosque? Whatever your faith might be. If you stop doing those things, that might be an indication. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of gaming disorder, I'm not sure that the lay person can actually diagnose this. Okay. Now, of course, access to mental health supports uh, is very challenging. Um, there are very few cities in North America that have 
through an emergency room version of, of a mental health uh, support. There are long, long wait lists. Uh, I heard recently, and I don't have a source for this, but here in British Columbia, where I live, uh, that there was a year of uh, up to a year's wait to see a child psychologist. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true, but it's, it sounds like a reasonable uh, sort of a community tale, if you will. Um, and so having other ways to connect with help is important. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to uh, share with your listeners is that there are helplines available sp uh, specifically for any family that feels that they, they need help in a crisis. And, and a crisis might be gaming related or it might be related to something else. Um, but in the United States, there's, they, I'm just gonna read these if that's okay, Robin, yes, and then please. we'll add them into the show notes as well. Yes, please. Uh, but in the United States, you can text the word HOME to 741741. Uh, in Canada, you can text CONNECT to 686868. Uh, there is also in Canada a French parallel to that line, uh, texting a parlay, P-A-R-L-E-Z, at 686868. Uh, and in the United Kingdom, text SHOUT to 85258. Uh, now these organizations, the Crisis uh, Text Line, Kids Help Phone, um, they're there to help and they have counselors, they have volunteers who are trained to deal with a crisis. Uh, and so if you're unable to access mental health resources, it is one option uh, and something maybe to provide to your teens as something that they can self-direct. If they are in crisis, they may not come to a parent or if they have a friend who is in crisis, they may not go to a parent. They may try and deal with it amongst the peer group. Mm -hmm. uh, so have your team put these numbers in their phone, tell them that it is okay. Well, it's just the appropriate number for your country. They don't need the international variations. Mm -hmm. um, but that it is okay to reach out uh, for support as needed. Well, that, that is really cool. Uh, that's new information for me. So that's really, really great to know that, that there are um, those helplines available. And I, and I think really what, what you're saying first and foremost is look for the signs. Are they not bathing? Are they opting out of school, of life, of, um, you know, real, you know, engagement with other people? You know, what's, what's going on? And if you think it's a problem, then reach out for help. And it's true. Um, we have been um, you know, years ago, we were in sort of the system trying to find help for our son. And it was a very, very, very long wait. So um, yeah, these sorry to help hear that, lines, but it's so true. It's very true. It's very true. And, um, you know, and, and that's, that's a whole other story and issue. But really, um, it, you do have to wait a long time. So knowing that there is really quick access and then arming your kids with that too, because you're right, unless you have a relationship with your kids, which is of course what I try to build, help parents build with their kids is a relationship where they can come to you no matter what is going on, whether they've done something bad or wrong or they're in trouble or they're struggling, that they can come to you and you won't criticize them or judge them or, um, you know, make fun of them, even punish them, you know, that you're just there to say, okay, how do we work this out? How can I support you? That's, really the key here but of course that doesn't happen in every family so um, that's really really helpful so um, okay so here's another question for you that that I hear and and I have I have seen the extremes with with some of the kids of parents that I that I'm working with one uh, one parent in particular they're they're divorced and one son 
you know, just hasn't even been outside. He's sort of graying. He's just not even getting vitamin D. He's just on those games all the time. And, and, and I would say that there aren't any boundaries really there. He's not going to school anymore. So there's an extreme case. And then there are the cases where, um, where I see parents, you know, how do I get him off the computer, but also get him to do his homework, which is on the computer. Such a common so, dilemma. So, so here's, here's the suggestion I make. I, I say, look, let him do his, you know, gaming or whatever. You, you set the parameters based on what is, what is right for you. I help them build those parameters. And then when it's homework time, this is my suggestion. So tell me what you think is, is to really take, look, if you're going to do your homework, then let's do it at the kitchen table. Just, just so we're all accountable. I know you're not doing it. I'm not going to bug you. And you know, you're here and you, it's obvious that you're doing your work, right? Is that a good win-win? I think that's a good win-win. It's a good win-win that probably works for some families. Mm -hmm. um, I, but it's in, in a little bit, it depends on a, a certain amount of digital privilege. Um, because some families will have a laptop computer that can be moved to the kitchen table um, to be used for homework. Okay. Uh, it can also be uh, the privilege of potentially a, an only child as opposed to a child who has three siblings. Uh, because the chaos around the family dining table or the kitchen table, when you have either younger or older siblings and all that activity, might be too distracting for that homework uh, to happen. Uh, and so, uh, I agree with I agree with what you've suggested as an example. Um, but I would say that there's also other ways to think about it. And I think it's also worth having conversations with teachers. A big part of the work that I'm doing is trying to make sure that this is a triad conversation between teachers and parents and the teens themselves. Uh, because uh, teachers are increasingly being asked to provide lessons in digital classrooms. Uh, mm. Some schools are banning mobile phones, but they are still using computers in labs. They're still giving students uh, uh, online accounts like Microsoft Office 365 or uh, Google Classroom where students are getting their homework from those devices uh, or from those services. They're having to submit through those services. Uh, and so the level of technology that your child has access to and the conditions they need to use it and be successful. If they sit at the kitchen table and they're not distracted by what's going on around them and they can focus to do their work, awesome. But it does assume that they have a computer that can be moved to of the course. kitchen table on yeah. a temporary basis. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I hear that. So um, you said there were other solutions. What, what, do you have other solutions just off the top of your head that would work? Well, I think that other things that can work is um, having the computer, uh, making a decision as a family as to who has devices. One of the biggest things for families is knowing what your budget can withstand. Uh, quite frankly, some families would struggle to have a single computer in the home and maybe there are four children who all need access to it to do their homework. Uh, in other cases, you know, having all the children have a mobile phone is really important in terms of security or commuting or you know that maybe they've got a bl uh, blood glucose monitor that is monitored by the phone and reports back to mom's phone through wi-fi um, so making a decision as a family as to what technology you can afford and then deciding on where and how it can be used uh, is is part of the solution in this situation and so perhaps the computer is in a, a common space 
um, but maybe it's in uh, maybe it's in a bedroom, which is not always ideal. Depends on the size of the bedroom, but maybe the bedroom becomes an office for the evening, and then it, you know the computer is shut down fully at bedtime. Um, it may also be that the family can't afford any technology at all and needs to go to a public library or the school library or some other community uh, center where computers are available for use. Um, that involves a different level of transportation and consideration uh, to make sure that you have time to do the things they have to do on a computer, uh, but also that they have uh, some kind of time to do the leisure things that they might want to do to have those social connections. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing to perhaps as a solution to this is to really look at the amount of homework that uh, students are being asked to do. And certainly the difference between homework in grade six and, the, and homework in grade 12 is vastly different. Uh, however, too much homework at any age level is not productive. We know as adults who are now living a digital world, we can only work at the computer for so many hours a day. So that's another part of the conversation with your child, but also with their teacher. Say, look, they're spending four hours a night on the computer on homework. That's not healthy. It's impacting their ability to come to the table for dinner, their <laughs> sleep, uh, their social time, their ability, you know, maybe they want to have a long leisurely bath, but they can't. So they've got to have a five minute shower because they've got to get back to their uh, computing. So that problem might be too much homework assigned, but it mm -hmm. could also be that the child is not using their time effectively in their high school classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. by talking with the teacher, if they're goofing off at school, hey, every teenager on the planet has goofed off part of every week. That is part of being a teenager. Um, but if they're goofing off to the point where they're not getting their work done in class, and so the volume of work they bring home is so much higher, mm -hmm. um, maybe that's the solution that needs to be addressed. Right. Um, there's just different ways to approach it. And it's so personal for every family, depending on their circumstances. Mm. But, but I think what you're saying is get your facts straight. What is going on school-wise? What's going on with your child? And then let's create a solution at home. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. I want to go back to what you said about digital privilege. So can, because I think I, I'm, I'm guessing this means more than one thing. Can you tell me what you mean by digital privilege? I, and, and let me just say, what I'm asking is, is digital privilege like being privileged enough to be able to have devices and that sort of thing? And also, is it about your child remembering that this is not a right, but a privilege to play on their gaming system and so on? Mm -hmm. Both of those things are true, Robin. Yes. Um, I think that the, the privilege of having access to the technology is something that many of us take for granted. Uh, we live here in major cities mostly, uh, but those who are in more rural communities have a, you know, less speedy Wi-Fi if, or internet access. They may not have uh, Wi-Fi set up because the signal strength is less. Uh, if they live in very remote or rural communities, the internet access is going to be even less robust in some communities, and there even are communities that are going to have 
no internet access, although they would still have electricity and be able to run technology locally, mm -hmm. of course. Um, so I think it's important to remember that we live in this amazing time, but here in North America, we also live in a really privileged place where we have high-speed internet. You know, we're having arguments about whether we should you know, upgrade from 4G to 5G when there are parts of the world that would be really, really happy to have technology that is three or four steps behind that. Um, I also think that uh, digital privilege is about having the phones uh, and understanding uh, those, the financial privilege for families to be able to afford. You know, imagine you had four kids. If each of them had a phone, each of them had a laptop, and you had a couple of desktop computers in your house, which is not unusual, that's a thousand dollars a phone, a couple thousand dollars per laptop. You're talking about a ten thousand dollar infrastructure investment for a family. Uh, at a time when families are raising four kids, they have a lot of other expenses in terms mm -hmm. of their housing, in terms of insurance, in terms of transportation and clothes and food and you know all the, all the things that go into being a parent. Uh, so that financial privilege is something that some families can manage. Uh, and of course, not every family is buying their 12-year-old $1,000 phone. You can get free phones that are older models from the carriers. You can do hand-me-downs within the family. Uh, you can uh, get special deals on, on services. Um, but the services, the, the plans to run those phones are also an additional monthly expense. And I know many families that are now uh, looking at that cost line and creating phones for their youth where they have a phone number and they can do basic text messaging, um, but they cannot do data unless they're connected to Wi-Fi, which they yeah. can do at home and at school, and that is sufficient. Um, often you can override that if in an emergency they needed data, you know, they were lost or, you know, their friends abandoned them and they needed a Google map to get, figure out where they were so they could figure out how to get help or get home. Um, the data charges are astronomical, but of course, in an emergency like that, it's fine. Um, other families are choosing to pay for data plans as a family, which can be a savings, and some, uh, some families are you know, really picking and choosing who has them. In addition to the actual hardware costs and the service costs of the internet to your home and in the service to the mobile phones, of course, are the services that you use. Uh, many things are free. Um, but you might want to pay for Microsoft Office or Adobe Suite uh, or a subscription to a, a shared Dropbox that the family can use for photographs. All of these things have a cost. So again, being able to afford them is a digital privilege. Mm -hmm. um, then you add into that this notion of the privilege, not the right to use technology. Uh, and I think that uh, youth need access to technology. That's part of my argument with this work that I'm doing is that we need to teach them how to live and work with technology in healthy, productive, and creative ways. Um, however, that access is something that uh, each child will develop the ability to cope with at different rates. And there's a number of different factors that go into that uh, uh, privilege. Uh, it's about self-regulation. It's about uh, earning the, the trust and responsibility to not lose your phone, not to drop your phone, to understand that it's a device that's, that's valuable. It's about being able to understand privacy and being able to protect your family's privacy. You know, posting an Instagram story because your whole family is on holiday and we're not at our address, which is geotagged and all the other photos that you've shared, is a skill they have to be taught. They don't yeah. inherently know to turn off geotagging. They don't inherently know 
to be quiet about their vacation publicly. And that times 100 skills they need to learn. Um, and I don't know that punishing them by withdrawing a technology is the correct way. I, I actually don't think that taking technology away as punishment is very effective. It just creates a friction point around a really complicated issue. Yeah, um, well, I however, have lots to say about that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Well, why don't you chime in too? Let me well, you for a moment. <laughs> that's right. Well, okay, so, so, so a couple of things with what you said. I mean, I think that, um, yes, there's the digital privilege, that we are privileged and, uh, to, you know, in, in this part of the world to have all of this access and all of this stuff. And I, I do think that, you know, um, there's so many of us that are privileged to have many different devices in our home. Um, one of the things though that I think is really important is that we need to determine what's right for our family and not do it because the family next door has got all of the things or the kids yes. at school have all of the things, right? Because that is no way to parent because what it does is it adds the things that you now have to police because chances are if you're not doing it at the time that you feel that you should be doing it for your child at their age, at their development stage, then, um, then they're not going to be able to understand the parameters around which you want them to use this device. And then it's on us. But then that's when the punishing comes in, right? Because you may be asking your child to agree to something that they may not fully understand, right? Or fully grasp. And, um, and that's a really important thing. Do it when it's right for you. Because if you're going to say, and I talk about yeses and nos, like having an authentic yes and an authentic no. If your yes is a true yes, yes, you can have this. Mm -hmm. which means that I'm not going to arbitrarily just yank it away from you because you have a bad attitude or because you didn't take the garbage out or do the thing that I asked you to do in the way that I asked you to do it. Now I'm going to arbitrarily take that away. So what that leads me to then is, is, is punishing isn't going to, isn't going to help, but, but we need to have an agreement around how the device is used and you do include a contract right do you not I do yes a digital contract which i think is really important so and, and i'm talking about uh, a cell phone i'm sure we can talk about it as a gaming system and that sort of thing but let's sit down before i allow you to use this and talk about what my expectations are for you but also what your expectations are for me like if we have a good uh if we're all on the same page then i'm not going to go in and maybe you know message your friends or i don't know there's lots of things parents might want to do you know snoop on things i'm not saying that's a bad thing to check off on what they're posting i think you should do that um, but not use it as as something to hold over your child's head to uh, to use to control them then right mm -hmm. um, i'll give you an example of 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 one of the the times that i was willing to take technology away from my child but it was totally related to the technology. So he, um, we, his high school is not that far from our home, but it's all uphill. So my, my son wants a ride home uh, every day. And I work from home, so is that hard for me? Not really, uh, but it does break up my day. Sometimes I don't wanna do it. And so I, uh, I, I'll say, look, I, I'm busy, I can't do it. And he will 
um, there's been times where he'll just, he'll just say, mom, 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 like text after text after text. And I use my phone to talk to my clients. So then it's, you know, unless it's on do not disturb, which usually is, you know, he'll just over and over and over again, then he'll send like angry emojis. And then he'll say, you're the worst. And, you know, trying to, trying to get me to, to, to respond and I won't do it. And I also told him, if you, if that is how you choose to use your phone, to communicate with me, then you are choosing not to take it to school because I will not allow you to, to, uh, I don't know, to, to disrespectful, to, to blow my phone up. Yeah. With, with those kinds of things, you know, and, and we always talk beforehand, whether you're going to get it right or not. So it's not like he doesn't know. Uh, but that is a time where I'll say, no, you have crossed the line and that is not okay for you to do that. So then he'll take it away uh, or I'll have it taken away. Um, so I think that you've got to really talk to your kids because the power of the technology that we have is, is not to be discounted. You know, we know that if they have a phone, they have access to porn, right? And I mean, I hate to say it like that, but we know it and we've got to talk to them about that too right? Mm -hmm. At an age appropriate time. So um, I know we're getting a little off of gaming, but it's all kind of the same. It's all in the same realm, right? Things that we don't know about, things that we're scared about as parents. And we've got to get in the game too. And we've got we've to know what they're doing as well, right? Yes, yes. Well, and you mentioned in the book that I include digital privilege contracts. And I actually, in the download kit that comes with the book, there are three uh, example contracts that families can use as a starting place. They're editable documents that you can then uh, adjust. Uh, one is just a general internet use contract. That would be a great place to address both gaming and porn if, if it's age appropriate. Uh, there's one that's specific to mobile phone use that talks not only about what you're accessing and how you're using it, but about apps, about uh, communication styles, about hours of use. Uh, and then the third example that I provide is actually for teachers. And it's a classroom contract to allow teachers uh, within the parameters of whatever their school policy is. Classroom teachers have some autonomy within their classroom. My son's classroom, for example, the school has a policy of no phones from first bell to last bell. However, he is in a class that is technology driven. So they have certain times of the day where they are allowed to use their phones. They watch videos on how to do certain kinds of math skills. They will do research. Uh, they'll watch a TED talk as a group and then do research about questions that they have on their phones. Uh, or if it is a quiet work time, they are allowed to have their phones out uh, to listen to their personal music uh, on a low volume so no one else can hear, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are times, but teachers also need uh, some, some rules around this. Uh, and I think that having a digital uh, privilege contract is something that you can never start too early. Uh, my son, uh, who's now a teenager, had his first contract when he was four years old. The language of that original contract uh, was very, very simple. It was, it was in keeping with the things you would, you know, don't talk to strangers, uh, tell mommy and daddy if, if something goes wrong, uh, you can't use the computer unless a grown-up is with you. Uh, we have grandparents at a distance, so there was some video chatting even at that point. Yeah. Um, and then we've updated that contract annually. Uh, so we are now you know, well over 10 versions of this contract uh, with his input every year. That it and it reflects his developmental, his age, his stage, the trust he's built, uh, the skills he needs to develop, and the skills that he wants to be able to, to use those muscles. 
Um, it also outlines the, the consequences or punishments uh, that are appropriate if there are violations. And it's been very rare that I've had to um, in, invoke any of those because it's so clearly laid out as to what, what we allow and what we don't. Um, and in fact, he has a separate mobile phone contract that the two contracts are aligned, but when he first got a mobile phone, he had to sign a three page document before we would actually give him the box with the phone. Uh, and bless his heart, he made amendments to the contract in discussion oh. with his father and I. Uh, and we had to initial those amendments before he would sign on the bottom Oh my line. goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know that that's typical, but I love it. I love it so much. Um, okay, so I want to ask you, back to the gaming. Yes. What are your suggestions if you've got a child who, and this is my last question, then we'll wrap it up. But this, you know, how do we get them off gaming if we think it's a problem? Do you have some solutions to help transition them back into more real world stuff and help them to sort of balance if it's starting to get out of control a little bit? I sure do. There's lots of things that parents can do. Um, one of the most important things is to, to acknowledge that there is transition time. It takes us time to get settled onto a device to be productive or active in whatever it is we're going to do. If we're playing games, it takes a few minutes to get into the game and kind of settle into gaming mode. On the other end, when you're coming out, it takes transition time to come out. Uh, we talked earlier about that idea of giving them a heads up that their gaming time is coming to an end. Uh, another strategy is to simply sit with them, you know, sit next to them and ask them some questions, you know, about what they're doing and try and understand where they're at in the game so that as a parent, you have a better understanding of when the break point is, when it's a lodge, oh, well, your character's back in bed and it's nighttime in the game, how about you push pause there and uh, we'll, you know, it is time to come offline, be involved. I also encourage parents to try games. Uh, I am terrible at many of the games my son loves, uh, but I have tried or at least sat with him and had him show me the basics so that I understand the environment that he's living in. There's a language, there's a lexicon to those environments. So not only does it help you understand what they're doing when they're online, but it gives you a point of conversation when they come offline. So, you know, how, how was your character doing in the, you know, the forest environment today or you know, whatever the, the thing is, or did you finish that quest or how many people were on your island enjoying margaritas or, well, okay, margaritas maybe aren't age appropriate, but you get the gist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, yeah. so yes. And so, so the, the, the transition is really important, right? And, and what I talked about when we last spoke was connect with your kids, like take a moment and just wait a moment and watch the game as they're playing it and then start to ask them questions when they start to respond back you know that they're out of that world because they are they are in that world and you look at the controllers they're vibrating they're moving there's sounds that are in their ears you know they're consumed you know visually as well like it is all sensories <laughs> all senses in this game so we need to give them that transition time you're so right um and then once they start answering you back then you can say okay you know what how much more time do you need it's dinner time is five minutes okay? Can you wrap this up now? Whatever it is, like it's time to end exactly. it now, and and then and then get them back into the real world. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> the real right? world still exists. Yes. Well, and we should highlight, Robin, that if the family feels that there is something bigger going on, 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, absolutely, you know, go see your family doctor and have a conversation. Uh, if it's a crisis, you know, it, uh, of course, you know, uh, there are studies um, that correlate some very serious things. Uh, some of the studies have been, has been disbanded, but if you have any concerns about your child self-harming or having mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts, um, please call 911 or whatever the appropriate emergency service is in your community. Uh, and, and remember that the, the family stress, the family situation is part of why your teen is the gaming doesn't stand alone as a separate entity it's not mm -hmm. your fifth child if you have four human children uh, it is mm -hmm. it is a technology uh, and we're accessing that technology we're allowing teens to we're giving them that privilege uh, and we've got to be aware that it, it it if there is something we are seriously concerned about we should not just say oh well it's gaming and dismiss it i would say any child that is self-harming or having other significant mental health issues that there is something else going on uh, and it's a combination of a whole bunch of things that are putting them in this mental state and so that should be of concern to parents and, and I, I think this is an uncommon uh, situation but for those families that are ex experiencing it uh, it's very very important to get professional help right okay well thank you for everything i want to wrap up and just and just really reiterate some of the main points that we talked about that first and foremost you know look at the overall situation at what's going on with your child if you feel that they're gaming too much look at your family situation let's be real is is it a stressful household you know are they withdrawing for from from life for a reason is it school related is it personal is it you know family that sort of thing um you know don't be afraid to parent your child and set up those boundaries right don't vilify the games the games are not necessarily the problem but it's our maybe lack of direction confusing direction one day you can play an hour the next day you can play three hours, you know, that sort of thing, you know, be, be clear about boundaries, um, have your kids understand the privilege that it is through a contract, through a good discussion. Um, and, uh, and, and just keep your eye out for signs that there may be a gaming disorder that is taking place, right? And then reach out for the help. Um, but really what you're saying, the answer to the question are these kids addicted to gaming? Really, no, it's, it's not. There's more going on than just the gaming. There are some positives to gaming as well, where they're doing things where they would normally be doing out in the playground, the park, the whatever, getting together, you know, going to the mall together like we did. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing like this um, and and just you know um, this is them hanging out it's just done online so let's not get too too worried about it but let's let's have a discussion I think it starts with a conversation with your kids and just you know arm them with information and and allow them to to know that they can come to you you know and you're not gonna you're not gonna fly off the handle when they talk to you about what's going on because that is how you get your kids to trust you and trust begets trust so we want to have that too so thank you for that do you have any last words before we wrap up i just want to thank you very much for having me on and invite people to visit angelacrocker.com um, by the time this episode is live i will have a new download for parents to help track some of these things so we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes and i hope that uh, parents will put it into action and, and hopefully that will help them how many of the worries they might be having around their youth getting close to an addiction on this front. 
Well, thank you so much. Your book again is Digital Life Skills for Youth. Thank you, Angela. You are amazing. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.